listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Or he, him, and I am one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And we are so glad you're here in person, to our friends on Zoom, so glad you're with us today. You know, I just thinking that song where Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who leaves, he has a hundred sheep, and he leaves 99 of them because one is lost. And he just goes and he just looks and looks and looks. And, and sometimes uh, the one isn't lost, the one actually got kicked out, right? Some of you experience that, right? Being kicked out of family or church or your community. And Jesus is like, I see you, I'm coming for you, right? I'm, I, I want to bring you back. Um, and we get lost in so many ways these days, so many ways. And Jesus, man, he, he's, he's coming for us. He sees us. He knows us. And that's, that's why we're here today. He's coming for you to remind you how much he loves you. Um, we're, uh, we want to pray a blessing over our kids uh, before they head out and have some special kid time. So Katie White, who's going to help with the kids, is going to pray over those kiddos now. Come on down. Welcome, Katie. Pray with me, church. God, we thank you that you are the kind of God who chases us down and comes and finds us. We pray for each child that is here with us or on Zoom or perhaps at home, um, that they would know, Jesus, that you are the kind of friend and Savior who comes and finds them and sees them when they feel left out. We pray that the kids among us and the adults among us would feel your welcome, Jesus, and would experience your love, your inclusion, your invitation, your comfort, and your strength in this season. Help us to dream with you, Jesus, and to wait expectantly for all that you are going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kiddos, you are welcome to follow Miss Katie and team out to go and have some fun. And uh, yeah, we, we should thank God for the kiddos because we like kids and we think they're awesome. So give it up for the kids. Well, you go, guys. We love you. Um, we, so Advent officially starts today, although we kind of kicked it off last week, we'll be honest with you, because um, we're excited about it. But uh, Advent is this season of waiting, of longing, of leaning in and saying, God, the world is not right would you come and make it new? And uh, along those lines, so we have a special friend of City Church who is going to come and preach for us today. And so if you would welcome up Larry Dove. I like to call him the bishop, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. But uh, Larry found me along the side of the road last century sometime. Yeah, late 90s. Um, hold on, are you turned on here? Let me make sure you, you got your power on and all that. Okay. Oh, no, we got it here. You got to turn on your magic button. That's going to help. Um, and uh, so Larry and I were, oh, man, 
Larry put up with me for a lot of years. Uh, we put up with each other. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> you realize as he preaches that he's a very gracious man, and you've heard me preach, and so you'll know who put up with whom. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be pretty obvious, but uh, super grateful. Uh, Larry's preached here a bunch of times before, and mm -hmm. he is now officially retired. Yes! <laughs> so good. So he pastored uh, various places around Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, for the last, well, and that was a second career after being in uh, management at uh, Pioneer. Pioneer, yeah. yeah Pioneer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so, uh, but our scripture reader, Mary Van Geffen, if you would come on up. Mary Van Geffen is going to read scripture for us today. Come on down. And uh, we stand around City Church. If, if you uh, would like to stand in honor of God and God's word, if you're on Zoom, you don't have to stand. You know, it could be weird at home, but whatever. Matthew 1:20-25. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. I'm handheld. Okay. Sorry, sorry. That's okay. I hold your hand. Sorry. All right. <laughs> That's all right. This will work. This is fine. So again, thank you so much for inviting me, Bill, and uh, it's always good to see uh, Katie and Brenna and also just to be a part of City Church Long Beach on this day. Um, as Bill said, that we have entered into a season of Advent, which simply means that we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, uh, God coming in the flesh. And the birth of Jesus, him coming in the flesh, is also, and uh, how, would you, how would I want to say it? to inaugurate actually the kingdom of God here on the earth. But there's also a second coming and that puts us in a, in a position of waiting in anticipation that when he will come and make all things new. But we're living in the kingdom of God today. And uh, as we kick off this Advent season, hopefully that by the end, by the time we get to Christmas, it will be more, it would mean, have more of a meaning than just simply exchanging gifts, but that we will see the seriousness of God coming in the flesh. I'd like to kind of give you a, 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 a Christmas analogy, or I should say an Advent analogy for me, and I'm going to be dating myself. But so back in the 60s, I wanted a 10-speed bike. And I just peppered and badgered my parents, I want a 10-speed bike. Now, they were, we were not rich, but we were not poor by any means. But my father heard my cry, and, and one day he, uh, they were gone, 
and I got a phone call at the house, and my dad said, uh, Larry, do you still want a bicycle? I said, yes. And he said, well, they don't have any 10-speed bicycles, uh, do, but uh, would you like a 15-speed bicycle? I said, of course. You don't even have to ask me for that, right? And that's all that I heard. So they come back home, and I'm anticipating with tension that I'm, you know, they, they got this bicycle. It, it could be in a box. It could be assembled or whatnot. He comes home empty-handed comes home empty-handed. How could you do that? <clears throat> and so uh, I asked him, I said, where is the bicycle, Dad? He says, it's coming. That's all he told me, it's coming. And I would pepper him, and I'd lean on, when is the bicycle? It's coming. It's coming. And if you understand the makings of black culture and black fatherhood, finally I got on his last nerve. He said, don't ask me that anymore. You won't get that bicycle. And so uh, I couldn't find the bicycle. I looked high and low, and, and he told me later on that they had actually purchased the bicycle and dropped it off at a relative's house so that I couldn't find it. So you can imagine the tension and the, and the anticipation that I lived in until Christmas Day. And I got up on Christmas Day, and there it was, right there, 15 speed. Nobody else in the neighborhood had a 15 speed. <laughs> But I did. And I remember I was telling my friends at school, you know, hey, I, I got a bicycle coming, a bicycle coming. Oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And so, I, you know, when I got this uh, bicycle and I couldn't wait, they actually made me wait uh, probably a couple hours till it warmed up. But I got on that bicycle and I started uh, pedaling and whatnot. And that was one of the most advent moments in my life. I got on that bicycle and I was doing this with no hand. Because this is what I was born to do, to ride a 15-speed bicycle on Christmas Day. Have you ever had an Advent moment like that? And maybe it hasn't been around Christmas. It could be any other time. And, but it's cemented in my mind a couple of things, too. Not only the glory of riding that bicycle, but the love that my parents had for me. Because I realized that they probably put that on credit. They didn't really have the money to pay for it with cash. And to, and to extend themselves financially for me to have a joy on that day was just utterly amazing. Absolutely utterly amazing. And I would hope that even, even in this Advent moment that we are experiencing up until Christmas, we will realize the joy and also the pain that God put himself through to come to us, for us, and as us in human flesh. I think on that day, it's, my, that day reflects on Psalms 126, uh, my exuberance, and it's like this. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. <laughs> Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with, joy, with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, among my neighborhood, the Lord has done great things for Larry. I'm great thanks for them. <laughs> the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled, I am filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of Najib. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, 
will return with the songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. That just summed up my experience on that day. And I'm pretty sure that during this Advent season, you will experience some of those joys too. I had a dream about that bicycle countless of times, morning, noon, and night. I had night dreams, daydreams. Everything flooded my mind about that bike. My imagination just simply exploded about the possibilities without limit. How far could I ride that bike? Who would I meet when I ride that bike? How, what about the people that I could visit? That bike could take me to places where I could never even imagine. And that experience alone, as I said, was an Advent moment in my life. A dream definition, we're talking about dreams, is an activity of the mind that happens when we are asleep. Now, this is just kind of the, the uh, Webster's, uh, Webster's version of it, but I'm going to expand it in just a minute. They said, it, but it can also be defined as a series of emotions and images that take place in a person's mind during sleep or whatever we go through during the day that gets recorded in our mind and replays when we are asleep. We call that a dream. Dreams allow us to explore different possibilities and to think outside of the box. I would like to say that not just night dreaming, but other synonyms for dreaming would be daydreaming, pondering, deep in thought, contemplating, and meditation. Dreams allow us to explore different possibilities and to think or imagine outside the box of our limitations. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, all right, good. I know I'm in the right crowd. So God, God dreams, when God dreams, when he invades our mind, our imagination, I call them his dreams, and our conscious, he invades those so that we could pursue not only our dreams, but his dreams. And when God invades our minds, our thoughts, our daydreaming, they can become sources of transformation for our lives and then also for the future of other lives. God's dreams and thoughts, they overflow with hopes and endless possibilities. And the waiting period between the presentation of the dream and the actual manifestation of the dream will always be filled with tension and anticipation. Always be filled from the time that the time that you have the dream or, or you're meditating on it or you're thinking about it or you're pondering or you're just going back and forth. God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? And so forth. There will always be that tension, that tension that involves your will and God's will. Your will and God. And if you didn't know it or not, most of the time our wills are not necessarily aligned to God's will. He has to do a lot of convincing and thank God for his grace. A lot of convincing to kind of make our will to align with his will. But in that time, there's this tension and there's this wrestling. And that's okay. You need to know that wrestling with God is okay. Nobody jumps into this thing called Christianity with blind faith. That God takes us like a little child, step by step, moment by moment. And he understands when we're wrestling with doubt or we're wrestling with unbelief or we're just simply wrestling with whatever that might be, one step at a time. Because he's that gracious. And so the dreams in Advent had played a significant part in the Advent narrative. And I like to just kind of 
look at look at the character of Joseph. He doesn't really get a whole lot of mm, credit, so to speak. Everything is focused on Mary, and rightly so. Ladies, don't get me wrong, please, okay? Rightly so. But Joseph had a part in this also. And so he is a spouse to Mary, and, and, and he's going to be married to Mary and so forth. And Mary comes to him with a story one day and say, uh, Joseph, uh, you know, uh, I know I'm supposed to be chaste and so forth, but I, I, I'm a little pregnant, a, a little pregnant. And, you know, in the course of the discussion, of, she has to reveal to him, well, I got this visitation from an angel, Gabriel, and he told me that I was going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and, and I've missed my period. And so obviously I am, I, am peer, I, I am pregnant right now. And Joseph is probably saying, what are you saying to me? This is unreal. And you can imagine what's going through his mind. And so Joseph, he decides that he is going to quietly break off the engagement or the betrothed and, and not make a spectacle of Mary and have her be put away, so to speak. When I say put away, not that she goes into a room or into a closet, but rather that he was going to break off the engagement. And then he had a dream. It says, but after this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit and she'll give birth to a son and you are to give him his name, Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son and they gave him the name Jesus. Now, he has this dream. God has invaded his mind, invaded his imagination, and says, take Mary. I know you don't understand it, nor it doesn't make sense, but just take Mary as your wife. He has to also wrestle with a lot of other issues. What are people going to say? What are my mother and dad or Mary's mother and father going to say? He's got to live with this scandal of her being, preg her being impregnated out of wedlock. You ever thought about that? And so he, he's got to wrestle with all these thoughts that are coming in because now he's going to be, he's going to be uh, uncovered, or you might say overshadowed with this whole scandal about Mary being impregnated. And then what are the villagers going to say? What are the villagers going to say? So Mary, what happened? And what is Mary going to, how is she going to explain this thing? So, so there's, there's this great dilemma, great dilemma. And so Joseph, just, just not, he just didn't merely get up and say, okay, Lord, you told me to take her as a wife. Mary, come on, let, let, let's go tie the knot right now. They, they probably had days, if not months, to try to figure out this whole thing. What does it look like? And they didn't have the answers. But they did have a God who was sovereign, and they did have a God that loved them, and they did have a God who directed them, even through the obscurity, even through the unclarity. There was a God that was directing their feet one day at a time. That's a good place to say amen. Yeah. <laughs> and so Joseph wrestles with this along with Mary, but they are obedient. Fast forward, and then they ended up in Bethlehem in a cow, born, cow barn, and the manger is in a feeding trough, and Jesus is giving birth to, and the birth is celebrated by shepherds. 
God comes low in the incarnation to lift us all up. And then Joseph has another dream, verse 2. Shortly after the, the birth of Jesus, the Magi, they are coming to give homage to the birth, the Son of God, the King of the Jews. And they stop by Herod's palace, and, and, Herod, Herod, and Herod is just very unsteady, let me just say it like that. And he hears about the prophetic, the prophecy of the king who is coming, the king of the Jews, and he feels that his whole, his whole kingdom is being threatened by the birth of this child. And so he, uh, he asks the Magi, you know what, after you find him on the way back, come back and tell me so I can also go pay homage to him. Well, the Magi, they see through his guise because they know that for one reason or another, he wants to actually kill this boy, this child. And uh, so they ghost Herod. They didn't go back to him. They ghost him and go the other way. He becomes so angry that he orders all the children, two years and under, to be killed in, the, in that surrounding area. Joseph has another dream. And he says this, Matthew 2, verses 13 and 15. When they had gone, the Magi, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and the mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. Here's my question. When a, one has a dream thought to be so preposterous, interrupted your life. Interrupted your life. Or are you still hesitant? to act on it because it is still too unbelievable, too disruptive, maybe not at the right time. When God invades our minds and invades our imaginations, they're going, it's going, undoubtedly it's going to put us in a uncomfortable zone. Uncomfortable. It's going to incur a lot, perhaps generate more questions than answers. And it's just so easy that when we have these dreams, these imaginations, when God invades our, our, our mental process, it's so easy to say, oh, no, oh, no, you got the wrong person. Not me. That can't be done. That's impossible, Lord. And I'm pretty sure God is up in heaven saying, yes, I know. Mm-hmm. That's it. But sometimes we will just put them off. Every person in this, in this room and even those who are watching you have the capacity to imagine and to dream beyond your greatest imagination. I think that one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the gift of imagination. Because it would take us to places that we physically perhaps will not go or see things that we normally would not be able to see. It's an imagination. And when God in invades our imagination, the improbable becomes quite possible. The impossible becomes quite possible. The limited becomes unlimited when he invades our imagination with dreams. Martin Luther King, I like to go there. Sometimes dreams are not meant for us to be fulfilled in our lifetime, but to be passed along to future generations. Shall I say that again? Sure. S dreams, sometimes dreams, 
Imaginations are not meant for us to be fulfilled in our lifetime, but to pass on to future generations. Many of you, uh, you are probably very familiar with I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King uh, that was delivered in Washington on uh, August of 1963. In the speech, he, he calls for civil and economic rights and an end to racism in the United States. It was delivered to over 250,000 civil rights supporters and marchers on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. The speech is one of the most famous moments of the civil rights movement among the iconic speeches in, and, and also in American history. Now Martin Luther King, I don't know if you know the background, that speech was not to be, he, he had not planned to actually proclaim that speech as part of the other speeches um, <clears throat> during that time. And uh, this woman called Mahalia Jackson was in the background on the podium with him. And she said, Martin, Martin, tell him about the dream. Tell him about the dream. And Martin, he was hesitant, you know, because that was not part of his speech. Tell him about the dream. Tell him about the dream. And so I think he had already memorized it because he didn't have it on paper. And he says this. I'm just going to read some short excerpts of it. He says, I have a dream one day that the, on, on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream one day that even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering in the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation whereby they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of the character. I have a dream today. Six times Martin Luther, he proclaims the words, I have a dream. And four times he, he adds that one day, that one day, that day that is coming. He didn't realize it in the moment and in the context that he was experiencing that, that sense of freedom and equality. But what propelled him to actually go through the bombings, to go through the racial rhetoric that he received, to go through the jailings, what propelled him was the dream that he had in his own soul and in his own mind. He said, one day, one day, one day, this is going to happen, one day. And we as parents, we also have dreams for our children that one day, can I get an amen on that? One day. And even though he was not able to be part of that, but the stepping stones was the vote, was the civil rights act that was passed and the voting rights acts that were passed later on in 1960, in the late 1960s. The one day, the divine aspiration for his soul, for his, for the movement, what kept him in the movement, what kept him pushing ahead, what kept him leading was the dream was the dream. He says, I have a dream one day, and this is a prophetic, 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 prophetic utterance. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places shall be made plain, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. All flesh 
shall see it together. This is my hope. It paints an expectant eschatological future advent that someday will be lived out by all peoples of the earth. It's coming. The first advent reminds us that there is a second advent to come. This coming of Jesus to make all things new. And he writes it in Revelation 21 verses, in verses 3 through 5. Here's Jesus saying this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. And check this out. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus' birth is the inbreaking of heaven into an earth that is filled with darkness and corrupt and, and wars and so forth. But he is in the process of making all things new. Yes, there is this anticipation. There is this tension of waiting for him. But Advent is a reminder that the same God who loves us and came for us as us is the same God who will come again when that day comes. In this world we inhabit, it's between the first coming and the second coming. But it's a reminder that the kingdom of God is now. We're not going to wait to it. The fulfillment is coming. But the kingdom of God is now, and we see glimpses of that. And it fills us with hope, like Martin Luther was filled with hope, that along with all this that is going on, that that one day will be coming. Our redemption includes divine dreams from above. What are your dreams? What are your dreams? Last but not least, but Langston Hughes, during the uh, Harlem uh, Renaissance, he writes this poem, and it says this, Hold fast to your dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field, frozen with snow. Hold fast to your dreams. And may the people of God say amen. Amen. Thank you.